0: You guys can grab a seat. Everybody doing good? If you have your Bibles, open to Luke, um, because that's where we've been and that's where we will be. Uh, While you're flipping there, just a couple things. My name's Gabe. I'm one of the guys here that's helping lead this thing. Um, And we're just glad that you're here. Um, We're kind of rolling into the summer. Things are going to change a little bit. There's going to be some differences, uh, but we're just grateful to keep doing this. Uh, As Kyle mentioned before, we're just a big family. We're a big community um, that really wants to live on mission, that we really want to see God do something in our lives here. I think we all kind of have that. Um, built-up feeling that, like, I want my life to count. I want my life to matter in some way or another. And so that's why every week you'll see this up here. This is 26, roughly 26,000 tally marks. Um, the 26,000 tally marks represent the 26,000 people within a 20-minute drive of right here uh, that don't know Jesus. Uh, and that, that's why we exist. When we say we live on mission, that's not just a cute cliche that we like to throw out. Um, that We're really trying to take this serious. And there's a lot of different strategies and methods that we could use, but uh, for us, what we see from the Bible is simply it's, it's up to us. It's up to me and you to make disciples who make disciples. And so that's what we're trying to do as a church, but it's not just here. Um, we, yes, we care about the 26,000, but God has given us a unique vision here um, to do what we're doing on every major college campus in Georgia, so there's roughly 22 college campuses right now um, that we would love to raise people out of this room, train them up, and then send them out to do the branch, or what? I don't. We don't care about names, but to do a church, a, a discipleship-making church somewhere else. Um, so that when we get there, when we get to Athens, we get Statesboro, or whatever it might look like, um, they would have their own tally mark of what does it look like for us to raise up disciples and then to send them out within the town that we live. We love college students. We love college towns, and so that's just the unique place we feel like God has placed us. So that's just a little bit about us, but, but with college towns, summer looks a little bit different. Um, so here's a couple tweaks that we're going to make over this summer. Uh, one, I'm not going to be teaching over the next couple weeks. We've got a lot of guys that want to be pastors that are pastors that want to be sent out to be church planners and so we're going to give over the next four or five weeks we're going to give some of those guys a shot up here um, so it's good to meet you if I haven't met you my name's Gabe but just because I'm not up here the next couple of weeks doesn't mean anything uh, we're taking serious about raising up the next guys and so um, I'll be traveling some going on vacation and uh, but we'll have other guys up here the other thing that we're doing this summer is a little different it's called hashtag first sunday fun Day. everybody give me a little hashtag Because I feel stupid doing it, so do it with me. There. Hashtag First Sunday Funday. So June 4th, July 2nd, and August 6th. Uh, That's pretty impressive that I know those dates, right? Those dates, we're not going to meet here at all, so don't show up here. We won't be here. June 2nd, at 11 o'clock, we're going to meet down at Yuhula Creek on the park, um, have a little worship and teaching right next to the river, and then we're just going to hang out. Uh, July 2nd, we're going to be at the Staple South. They have a pool and um, some beautiful land out in the mountains, so we're just going to hang out there. Again, have a miniature gathering together and then hang out there. Now, August 6th, we're going to be at the Dodds that are sitting in the back. They've got a lake house in Dawsonville, so we're just going to take a break from here and go enjoy out the there. So we don't have to set this thing up anymore. Um, So that's just a couple tweaks that you'll see us doing over the summer. And so we just really want you to get involved. Uh, Again, just kind of echoing something that Kyle said. We love this here. I mean, the the main reason is because we get to study this and we get to learn from this. But if this is all we do, we're missing out on making disciples. We're missing out on community. We're missing out on life. So we really want to um, do more than just sit here for an hour on a Sunday. Uh, but we're going to sit here for an hour today, so open up to Luke, and also if you have um, a, a finger or something, go ahead and flip over to 2 Peter and, and put like some kind of marker there, because today we're going to be in both. Um, if you're new here, we've just kind of been walking through the book of Luke, and just kind of line by line just really trying to understand who this guy Jesus is. Um, the title that we're, we've kind of put is a meal with Jesus because there's a couple of theologians that after they've studied the book of Luke, they've concluded that Jesus was either at a meal, um, coming from a meal, or going to a meal in the book of Luke. So we've just kind of dreamed up what would it look like if we just sat down, kind of while you're sitting at tables, we sat down and had a meal with Jesus, what would we learn about him, his nature, his character, his mission, uh, what would we start to understand? And so. That's kind of where we'll be. We'll actually be in the book of Luke until Easter of 2019. Just so like not Easter of next year, but the Easter of of next year. So if you come to the branch between now and Easter of 2019, just go ahead and bookmark Luke, because chances are we're gonna be there. Um, So Luke chapter nine, we're gonna pick it up in verse 28 is where we'll land. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some around the table. Um, Download an app, something. We just really want you to see the scripture for yourself. And so while you're flipping there, uh, let me ask a question because I think we've all done this. I think we'll all be guilty of this. Who has ever prayed a prayer or thought a thought of, "Um, God, if you would just do this for me, that way I would know that you're real. And for some of us, it's probably been like something really drastic. Like if you would just heal my parents' marriage, if you would just, but, but maybe if you're like me, it's like if you would just lift this gym floor up like 10 feet, and then put it back down. Just, just something simple like that, God. That way I would know that you're real. Uh, when I was in high school, my best friend's sister was kind of having some doubts about God and religion. and So she was in the bathroom, and they had a radio in the bathroom. And um, she just prayed like, God, if, how do I know that you're real? Would you just sh- do something to show me that you're real? The radio came on, played for like five seconds, and went right back off. She's like, okay, I'm good. Thank- like, I cannot explain that other than God, so thank you for that. And I think we all just secretly at, at some point in our faith journey, we want that. Maybe, maybe you don't really trust Christ. Maybe you don't really um, think religion. Someone has just brought you here. And that's probably what you're thinking. Okay, like, God, if I feel something, if you do something here this morning, then like, I'll believe you. Even though we're sitting in a gym and the bathroom really smells. So um, you're off to a bad start, God. But if you do something here, maybe like I said, some of us, we've, it's been really drastic for, like, God, if you save this person's life, if you, if I really, I would really follow you if, and we kind of put that all on him. So what we're going to see this morning through scripture, though, is, is maybe an answer to that question, but a different answer than what we thought. So pick it up, verse 28. We're just going to read through verse 36 and, and see what it would look like if we saw God just do something crazy. Verse 28, now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter, John, and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking to him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke about his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Verse 32, now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory, and the two men stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, is it good that we are here? Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And when he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Verse 35, And a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Does this sound a little crazy? Sound a little cra- Okay, let's, let's pray, and maybe he can, God can help us understand some of this. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. Um, God, thank you for what just happened in the scriptures. And Father, thank you that, that we even have the scriptures to read this. Um, so God, this morning, would, would you speak to us? Would you give us some hope, uh, Father, in maybe a, an area or a different way that we weren't ex- expecting it? God, will we be able to experience your hope and your joy that's found only in you through your scriptures? Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Amen. Now, we're going to kind of retell this story and kind of put some pieces together, uh, because if, I don't know this just where you know what you understand about the story, uh, but just eight days before, <clears throat> eight days before, Jesus told his disciples, hey, um, I am Christ, I am the Messiah, Peter answered the question right. Um, who do people say that I am? Well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're a prophet. Uh, who do you say that I am? I think, I think you're Jesus, I think you're the Christ. And what Peter meant by that was you're going to save the world. You are here, you're gonna redeem the Jewish people, you're gonna overthrow the government, you're gonna overthrow Rome, uh, it's on. Get my sword, let's do this thing. And that's not what Jesus meant, because Jesus went into, yes, I am Christ, I am the Messiah, and we're about to go into Jerusalem and I'm about to die. So Peter's like, no, bro, that's not how I thought this was gonna work. Uh, I was hoping like, I'd get a horse and like, some armor and I'd be able to kill some people. Anyone else wanna do that? Don't raise your hand, that'd be weird. And so that's what was going on. And and Jesus says, not only am I going to die, but listen, um, if you want to come after me, you've got to pick up your cross and follow me. You've got to pick up your death objects. Following Christ does not look like this huge victorious win for the world. It means denying yourself. And so last week, um, we looked, and you can listen to podcasts to catch up if you want to. We listened or looked at this text and said, that's actually for our joy, so for us to get outside of ourselves is actually the best thing for us. When we focus on our problems and our small I mean we even have a category for this. It's called first world problems, right? mean, we have this own idea where we're like, "Oh my gosh, the Wi-Fi's out. Windstream. And you can YouTube guys in Africa, just little kids that have no idea and they're making fun of us. They're reading things that we complain about and they're going, "Oh, my Windstream, my Wi-Fi has been out for a week." And they're sitting in front of a little hut, and they don't even know what they're, t- like, what is Wi-Fi? So we've created our own category. We think that the world is ending, but the more that we can get out of ourselves and the more that we can focus on Christ and what he's doing and what he's going to accomplish, that's actually the best for our joy. So we looked a lot at that last week, and Scripture starts off that it was eight days later. So eight days after Jesus had dropped the bomb, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah, I'm going to die. If you're going to follow me, pick up your death and come with me, deny yourselves. And then there's eight days of silence. So you just kind of wonder, what was his disciples thinking? How much were they regretting their decision of following this guy that they thought was going to redeem the world through bloodshed and battle and overthrowing the government? but they had no idea that his death was actually going to overcome the world. They had no idea that he was going to redeem this people, but it was just in a different way. So eight days had gone by, and he takes these Peter, James, and John, which is kind of his crew. I don't really, uh, there's a bunch of theories why. I don't, uh, it's not worth speculating, but uh, Peter, James, and John were the same guys that went into the room uh, with Jairus' daughter when she had died, and they saw firsthand Jesus bring her back to life. So these guys had the inner workings, inner seat of Jesus. So he takes them up to this mountain to pray. Of course, they fall asleep, and this crazy scene starts taking place. Verse 29. And when he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothes became dazzling white. Now that's not like bedazzled right like that's not little rhinestones that he put on or that's not LEDs that he stuck up under his robe and like it was just kind of glowing through like this is his glory shining outside of his pores verse 30 and behold two men were talking to him Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure again his departure that's why he's going to Jerusalem for his death they're talking about his departure So this crazy scene is taking place. Jesus comes to earth, is born of a virgin, 100% man, goes through everything that we've ever gone through. Scripture calls him the empathetic high priest uh, because he experienced. Has anyone ever had anyone betray you? Yeah, okay, so is Jesus. Has anyone ever had anyone lie to you? So is Jesus. Have you ever been hurt by anyone? So is Jesus. Have you ever had a heartbreak? So is Jesus. Can I do you want me to keep going with this? Everything that we've experienced and will go through, uh, the scriptures say he's empathetic because he's gone through all of that. But just for this rare moment, the only time in scripture we see this, we get to see Jesus in all of his glory and all of his beauty and all of his brightness. We get to see him pick up the image of his father, God. Now this is one of those deals like, if you guys are readers, avid readers, or even you just like watching movies, this is something, if if we're not careful with, we just read over and go, okay, that's cool. That's a cool story. But this is a story, this is truth, and we have to kind of wrestle with and just imagine for a second what was happening, what was taking place. Just picture for yourself dazzling, bright light shining in the middle of nowhere, and there's two dudes standing there in the same way. The two guys would actually be Moses and Elijah. Now, Matthew 5.17 says this. Do not think that I have come, this is Jesus talking, to abolish the law or the prophets. So Moses is standing for the law. He's the one that went up on the mountain, got the Ten Commandments, brought it back down. This is Moses. Uh, Elijah is representing all the prophets that were saying, hey, Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. Get ready for him. So what what Jesus is saying in Matthew is, I didn't come to abolish what Moses did and what the prophets did. I came to fulfill them. So the Moses, that Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophet standing with Jesus was the culmination of all that is Christianity. It was that one moment where everything the law pointed to, which was Jesus, is taking place. Every, it was the one moment that all the prophets were pointing to was Jesus all standing right there. So not only was the glory of the Lord just bedazzling white light, but also everything just clicked for the disciples— because they knew Moses and the law, and they knew Elijah and the prophecies about Jesus. So it's just at the one moment, everything just clicked. And I love how they react. Verse 32. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and two men who stood with him. How would you react? You're asleep. I mean, just all joking aside, I would literally think, What is Am I drunk? Jesus, you're glowing. What is, you're asleep, dead asleep, wake up to this scene taking place. Imagine how many times they just sat there and rubbed their eyes. No, okay, oh God. No, oh man. This is really taking place. So they freak out. Anyone else would have freaked out at this moment? If not, you're a liar. They freaked out. Verse 32, And the men were parting from him, but Peter said, Master, is it, is it good that we are here? Is this, is this going to kill us? Let us make tents. <laughs> one for you, one for Moses, in not knowing what he said. How are you going to make a tent in the middle of the forest in the middle of the night? I mean, you can just to picture the scene, he's losing his mind of what's taking place, and he's just getting sticks and trying to like, I don't know what I'm doing, but this is freaking me out. This is crazy what's taking place here. And I just love that Luke included that detail, not knowing what he said. Verse 34, while he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. All through the Old Testament, a cloud always represents the presence of God. All through Scripture, when you hear a cloud, God travels in clouds. He speaks through clouds. So they knew exactly what was taking place when this cloud, this fog came rolling in. Verse 35, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Now, since Jesus has been alive, this is the second time this has taken place. One at his baptism, now here. God is affirming. So you just have to think of the grace that's taking place for these disciples. When eight days before, they were really doubting whether they should even follow him or not. Because he wasn't the Messiah that they thought he was going to get. And if we can just be honest, we've all felt that. We've become a Christian, we've started studying Scripture, and what we start to find out and what we start to experience, really, is maybe not what we thought. Uh, Probably because we've had a false understanding of what Christianity is, just like the disciples did. They were looking for something else. They were looking for a Messiah to overthrow the government. We're looking for this to give us stuff and to make us feel better and put us in better life situations. That's just not what the scripture does. It gives us joy throughout. It gives us Christ that will hold us together through that whole process. Verse 36, and when they had voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone and they kept silent telling no one these days what they had seen. So just as quickly as this scene came on, the scene goes away. The cloud comes, takes Moses and Elijah away. So you have to think through, just kind of reading in between the lines, was this the turning point for Peter, James, and John? Was this the defining moment for them where they said, this is is Christianity, I believe this now. So even though these guys are going to be crucified for their faith in not too many years, and they're going to watch their king, their Messiah, Jesus, be hung on a cross and murdered, you have to start to wonder, was this the moment, eight days after this scene takes place, and that solidified their faith? Because we all kind of want that. We've all, at the beginning I asked, we all agreed to, yeah, there's been some point in my life where I've said that, I've thought that, I've I've dreamed that God. If you would just do this, if you just show up, if you just make these lights flicker, then I would know that you're real. How crazy would that have been if it actually happened, right? I should have had Jay back there. Just um, no, we're not. We're not faking the Holy Spirit here. That's not what we do. Um, so you just have to start to get in and read between the lines. Was this it? So flip over to Second Peter because we're going to see Peter's explanation of this story. Because the, the natural conclusion from this text alone that we would draw is, uh, uh, give me that moment, God. You gave it to Peter, James, and John. You showed up in your glory. You showed up bedazzling white. All of this glory was taking place in one second. Moses came. Um, Elijah came representing the prophets. Give me that moment, and then I'll believe too. Show me something crazy, and I will believe. But Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, he's going to take a different spin on this that I think is good and healthy and right for our soul. 2 Peter 1, picking up in verse 16. For we did not follow clearly devised myths when we were made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So this is Peter, and he's about to talk about what just happened at Transfiguration. Verse 17, But when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter's going, no, no, listen, now, we're not making this thing up. This isn't some divine, like clever story that we've created. We were there. We saw all this take place. Like we were eyewitnesses. This should be enough for our faith. But look, what, look where Peter goes, verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully Confirmed, Prophetic word, this is code for Scripture, not code. This is what it means is Scripture. And he's specifically talking about, at this point, they only have the Old Testament confirmed and canonized. He's talking about, now for us, the entire Scripture. So we have this, more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Basically, morning star is a representation for Christ. Until Christ returns, we have the word which is more fully confirmed than an eyewitness account for what they saw happen in the mountain. We have the word which is better for us than a crazy experience. Verse 20, knowing the first of all that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Let me break that down for you so that you can't lie about what you saw. This is what holds us all together. This is better for us than a crazy experience because then that would experience would be left up to our own interpretation. Did you guys ever grow up playing the telephone game? You know how quickly a story can change just a few removed? So this is more fully confirmed. Verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but spoke From God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So here's where, for the next 10 minutes, I just want to lay before you. Yes, it would be great and it would be incredible to see God in His glory show up and blow our minds in this room. And Peter saw it, not once, not twice, a hundred, a thousand. He saw all the miracles take place. And Peter's saying, Yeah, I was an eyewitness, I saw it all. But what you need to understand is even though I saw it all, I'm telling you this is better. I'm telling you, what you have in front of you, this right here is better than any experience, any encounter that you can have. That your scriptures is more fully confirmed than anything else. So maybe pray for that, but what you have in front of you is all that we need to know that Christ is real. What we have in front of us is all that we need to continue going in this journey that we call Christianity. It's all we need. And so Friday night, uh, this, just kind of understanding some of this. Is anyone else an extrovert here? Just, okay, four of you, cool. Um, so only four of you will understand this, but the rest of you, maybe you can track along. Uh, extroverts, we get charged by conversation, by being around people. I um, mean, I'm the last personality test I took, I was a 95% extrovert. I just love people. Um, actually, on Tuesdays for my calendar, I had to block out that I don't meet with anybody on Tuesdays because if it was up to me, I would just meet with everybody all the time. But I wasn't getting like my administrative or my sermon stuff done. because I was just hanging out with people. That's what I love. And so Friday night, we had our community come over to our house. Um, well, some of them at least. some We had some other plans and some birthdays. So they came over. Some people had left. And, and so it was me and my wife and Jeremy and Kayla. And so we just started talking about theology. Now I'm an extrovert that loves theology. So, and, and I had some coffee in there too. So we stayed, they stayed till 1.30, something like that, just talking Bible and theology and all this stuff. And, um, just got me fired up, man. So they left, my wife went to bed, they went home to go to bed and I'm like two o'clock wide awake. What do I do? Cause I'm so energized. I'm so recharged by just having people around me that I, I can't fall asleep. Um, so I turned on a movie. I was like, well, maybe I'll just turn on a movie and go to sleep. Um, has anyone ever seen the movie The Intern? It's so sweet, man. It's such a good movie. So I'm hooked. Like, I'm watching this. That wakes me up even more so. So the movie goes off at 4.30. I'm like, I gotta go buy my wife some flowers. Like, that, that was such a good movie. Like, I, so I went to Walmart at 4.30 to get my wife some flowers, uh, which is kind of a scary place. I can't lie. Like, Hid my, pist- my pistol in the back of my pants, like, who's going to be at Walmart at 4.30? So walked in, got some flowers, talked to some people, whatever, came home, set up the flowers, uh, pretended I was asleep when my wife came to get the kids. and like <clears throat> She went and got the girls, and I snuck into bed, finally got to bed about 6.30 or something. So let's, let's just play this out, though, because she woke up, saw the flowers. I'm a good hubby. I'm like, no, I just couldn't sleep, and the movie made me cry. and so I mean, not cry, no, no, it made me emotional, made me emotional. So let's play this out for a second, though. How good would my marriage be if once a month I went and bought my wife flowers and never talked to her anymore? So once a month I go get her her favorite flowers, daisies. I go get a bouquet of daisies. I pick out a card, set it up. on. The, but the rest of the month we never speak. Or maybe even once a year. I, I create this incredible environment for her. She knows that I love her. She experiences my love. I take her on this incredible date once a year. And then the rest of the year, I, I'm, I'm not home. I'm never there. I don't spend time with her. I don't, how, how good do you think our marriage would be? Smoking is a thing that, that, to me, just growing up, I've seen a lot of people do it. I've been around it a lot. And there's always this mystery that takes place. We've, um, we've been around some family members that have passed away from smoking. And I'm always shocked to see, and maybe shock's the wrong word. And if, if that's your addiction, if that's your struggle, I'm not, I'm just commenting on this phenomenon. I'm not trying to talk down on you. I'm always shocked to see that when someone passes away from some kind of lung cancer, something that, that brings them ultimately to their death because of smoking... The, the family members around might take a day or two, maybe even a week off of smoking. But before long, they're, they're all back to smoking. So just like my wife, isn't that good enough? I, I, I took you on a date. I bought you flowers. I'll see you next month. Doesn't that satisfy you? One event doesn't fulfill her. And so we think just like, man, if I just saw God and all of his glory in front of me, I would change but when people see someone pass away from the same thing that's in their hands, don't you think that would be enough to push them away from smoking? But it typically isn't. I read a CNN article that only 4 to 7% of people actually quit smoking because of a traumatic thing that happened to one of their family members. So we'll just be gracious. 7%. Seven percent experience this and say, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm done smoking. I'm, I'm done because I know where it leads to. I know where. But when it comes to Christianity, we think if there would just be this one aha moment, uh, I would be good for life. If these lights just flickered now, then I would, I would know he's good, and I would follow him the rest of my days. That's just the myth that we start to buy into, but Peter's going, no, like, I was there, but what's better for us is the word. The article that I read about with 47% kept going to say, uh, here's the best way to quit smoking. Uh, Get around a supportive community that will help you in that. Get around a supportive community, and then the other part is find your triggers. So a lot of people, maybe it's after a meal. After you have a good meal, you want to smoke. Or maybe the first thing you wake up, you want to. Find whatever triggers you have that lead you to that. And just get a big glass of water instead. So identify the triggers and replace. I just thought the parallel for that was incredible. If we want to see, because ultimately, someone wants to quit smoking, that's the goal. Our goal is to be solidified in our faith. Our goal is that we are never going to doubt, we're never going to question, we're going to follow the Christ the rest of our days, and if this big thing would happen, then that would cause me to never doubt, to never walk away. But if we were taking what they give to smokers and in really any addict, to find a community that's going to be around you, that supports you even through your struggles and even through your doubts, find a community that will love you through that. As Kyle mentioned earlier, we're, we're not doing missional communities just for fun of it. We're doing it because that's imperative to our faith journey with Christ, pushing us constantly back to this. And if we were able to identify our triggers of what makes us maybe turn away from Scripture instead of pressing into Scripture, going back to the things that make us comfortable, instead of pressing in and pursuing God, if we were able to find those, those triggers like for me, Uh, when my money when financially I don't feel secure I start to really doubt God anyone else when I'm not in control I start to identify so if I can identify those triggers that are going to say I'm God if you would just put a million dollars in my bank account I'd be good if you would just do that hey someone check Brie check our bank account that'd be crazy right I would never doubt no no I would but if I, could, if I were able to identify these triggers, and if I were able to tell my community, the people that I do life with, hey, um, if, I'm, if I'm ever seeming like I'm walking away from Christianity, here's probably why. If I'm doubting some things, here's, here's probably why, because I don't feel like God's providing for me. And so when that happens, can you make, like, get me and put my nose into Matthew 6, 25 through 34, so that I know that if God takes care of the flower of the field and the birds of the air, he's going to provide for me. I don't need some crazy story about a million dollars going into my bank account. What Peter's arguing based on what happened on the mountain of transfiguration is this is literally all that we need. The more fully confirmed scripture. This is what we need. This is it. This This is what will keep us fighting the good fight. Now let me just address the elephant in the room if I may. Why is it that we want some crazy experience? We think that would be what solidifies our faith, not just the daily time in the Word. Why why would we want that? Because I had lunch with a seven-year-old man this week, and he said, Gabe, listen, and it's only in the last year and a half have I really been studying Scripture every day. I'm really holding it where it should be, and my life is totally different. He started this in his late 60s. Why is it that we would we want and long for a huge moment, when when the moment is right in front of us? I would probably say, and maybe this is just me. If this isn't you, then good job. For me, I'm lazy. I'm just I'm just lazy. That's all it is. Why is I mean, have you ever seen how many people go buy lottery tickets all the time? and go do the scratch-off and go, why do you think they would do that? Because I would rather have a million dollars right now than continue working the rest of my life. I mean, it's just a sign of laziness. And I'm going to put all my money in this, all my money in this hope that maybe that would satisfy, maybe that would keep me going. But I'm saying, no, 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 if, if you're 20, if you're 18, if you want to be a millionaire by the time you retire, I can tell you exactly how to do that. I can pull up an amortization schedule. I can tell you where to invest your money. I can tell you by the time you're 65, you will be a millionaire, even if you don't have an incredible job. If you just live well, spend your money wisely, you will retire a millionaire. But we want it now. Like we're, we're, we're lazy. We want... It, now we want to see it right in front of us. Another crazy statistic even the people that win the lottery, 8 to 10% are broke within a couple of years. So we, we've got to start, Peter's arguing, and we can just look at every arena of life. We've got to stop getting out of the mindset that if this one thing would happen, then my faith would be secure for the rest of my life. I would never doubt. I would never worry. I would never question. I would just be completely satisfied in my faith. So God, would you please just show up like this? Lights flicker. No, I'm I'm telling you, what if we put that energy into praying and thinking and dreaming and just look at the more fully confirmed scriptures that we have about God and his word and his nature and who he is. Let's worry more about our character and our faith development, and understanding that it's a slow and painful process and be okay with that process instead of wishing away this journey. One of the things my wife and I always talk about because there's certain arenas in child um, progression that if I'm dishonest, I cannot stand. So I'll catch myself going, I cannot wait till there's no more diapers in this house. If I see corn in a dirty diaper one more time, I'm out just making sure you're with me. It happens, right? So we're just, I just cannot wait till this season. I can't wait till everyone can sleep. I can't wait till I don't have to dress anybody. I can't wait till I don't have to give bath times anymore. You know I'm gonna pour water on your head, son. It happens every single night. Just get used to it. Why is this a battle? But what I have to stop and realize is, man, this is just a season. This is a blip in their maturation. I'm gonna endure through the season and I'm not really crazy about for their joy of becoming a young man that loves Jesus. So if we were to put that kind of attitude in this, like, I don't feel like studying scriptures today. I don't feel like dwelling on, I just wish God would show up and make it easy for me. Peter's saying, no, 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 that's, that's not the case. Let me just read, if you're taking notes, if you have, just write some of these scriptures down, just maybe encourage your soul throughout this week. John 20, 29, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. So your faith will be stronger if you've not yet seen, if you just believe in the words that I tell you. Psalms 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Matthew 4, 4. It is written, man should not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Psalm 119, 114, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Not some experience. I don't hope in the fact that you might come and make these lights flicker. No, no, I, I hope in your word. If those lights actually flicker at this point, it would not be helping my sermon, so I'm going to quit saying that. Psalm 103, 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In his word I hope. Job twenty three twelve. i have not departed from the commandments of his lips. I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. I've treasured these words more than I do food. That's a hard one for me, amen? Maybe the, maybe the one we can end on, James 1, 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. So so maybe you're saying maybe you're throwing it out there like okay listen I I've read scripture pastor I, I've read what it says nothing's changing nothing's happening nothing different is taking place I'm still doubting I'm still questioning I'm still wondering part of that is that's just welcome to human nature it just is But my next question would be I, I, it's great that you're reading it that you're here tell me tell me what you're doing with what you're learning Tell me with how you're applying some of this. Because it's only one thing to know the Word, but to actually live out and do the Word is where change starts to take place. When we really take Him on His Word, and we say, okay, I've read that, God, so I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna exp- to call your bluff. I'm going to try this thing out. When that takes place is when we really get to see God show up for only what He can. When that takes place. So, so what does this mean for us? If you're still, uh, well, and if you're in 2 Peter, flip over to, no, I'm sorry, 1 Peter is not right. 2 Peter 1.19, if you're still there, just get a pen and underline this. Here, here's how we wrap up. Here's what this means for us. That his word that is more fully confirmed is a lamp shining in a dark place. Place. A lamp shining in a dark place. So if we were to kill all the lights, and we were to just have one little light, it would not light up this room. At best, it would light up the next step in front of us. So what Peter's arguing with us is, I know you want this big moment. I know you want this big aha moment. But understand that scripture is enough, and is it going to give you every answer to every question you ever have for eternity? Maybe not, but understanding that it's a li- it's a lamp for you shining in the dark place, it'll illuminate the next step for you to take. It's not going to tell you what's going to happen in fifty years, but it'll be enough for you to take the next step. But it isn't in there. It's a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises. Until Jesus comes for us, or until we experience glory after death, then everything will make sense for eternity. Then it will click for us. That will be our final aha moment when we get to see God in his glory forever. Then we get it. But until that day takes place, be okay with a fully confirmed word that will just light up your next step. This is Christianity. Christianity. This is what it means to follow Christ. This is what it is. We have the fully confirmed word. So here's my prayer for us. That's my prayer for myself too. There's all these different studies. The average home in America has four to five Bibles. If you've grown up in church, if you've been around the block for a little while, uh, this can kind of just lose its flair sometimes. Uh, for me, I spend tons of time in this every single week to develop sermons. and I'm working on my seminary online, so I'm just constantly reading and studying this thing. But if I'm honest, it just sometimes it's, it's not the fully confirmed word. It's not the hope that I have. This is not my portion. This is not what I prefer over food. This is not what I dwell on or think on. It becomes a chore and a task. Maybe that's just me, but I think... I think that would probably agree for most of us. So for us, this week, maybe the the starting point would just be that God would, we would pray for the Spirit to give us an unquenchable hunger for His Word. That God would impress on us how beautiful this thing is. And we would just pray, God, would you give me a desire to study the fully confirmed Word? Would I quit looking for this crazy aha moment? Would I just get my nose into this thing and really understand who you are? And maybe you just start reading through Luke, just constantly. Start in the Gospel of John. Start. Man, I don't You know, I feel like I've got to read this entire thing in six months. You can just pick a verse and dwell on a verse. Just do something. But the first step is that the Holy Spirit would open up our hearts to make this thing beautiful for our souls. That eventually when we would get to be 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, that that there's no way we could go six hours without getting into this thing. This would be such a part of our life that, that we can't not do it. And if someone were to take all the Bibles away, It would be so enriched into our mind that we could just constantly be spinning out Scripture. That is a prayer for my soul, and that is a prayer for this church, that we would be serious about the Scriptures and serious about the Bible. We wouldn't look for some crazy, unexplainable, if that happens, praise God for that. But if it doesn't, we've got this, and that's enough for us. That's enough for us. So today, we, we end all of our sermons kind of in the same way. We, uh, we take communion together, and we worship together, and, and on the tables, there's a little coffee cup that, that we can give back to the Lord together. And we do this because of a response of how good God is to us, that as we study Scripture, we get to respond back through worship, through giving, and through communion together. But maybe as we take communion, as we get to uh, break the bread which is his body, and we get to dip it into the juice which represents his blood. This is what he was talking about in Luke 9, that they were making the preparation that they were Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus about his departure, about his death on the cross for our sins. as we would take communion today, let your prayer be, Father, would you? instill in me a hunger for your word that I can't find anywhere else? Would you remind me that Scripture is better always? Would you instill in me a hunger for your word that I can't find anywhere else? Thank you and amen. And Let that be your reminder as we focus and dwell on Christ and what he's done for us and what he's given us. Would we pray that we would be instilled with a hunger we can't find anywhere else? So I'm going to pray, and when I say amen, we'll open up communion for all of us. If you're a believer in the room, this is the time for us just to think and dwell on. If you're not yet a believer, man, I'm so grateful that you're here. I want to meet with you. I want to hang out with you. But we would ask that maybe not participate in communion. This is, this is our special time to remember all that is good in Jesus. So you could just respect us by maybe just watching but not participating today. But would we have a hunger for the Word? Would we understand this is the fully confirmed Word of God better than any other experience? And would we love this thing like crazy? Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for giving us this Word. Thank You for giving us the Scriptures. Jesus, that You... You want us to know you and your character. You want us to understand how good you are and what you've done and what you will do, what you will accomplish. Holy Spirit inspired this word for us. So Father, would you forgive me? Would you forgive us when when we handle this thing too lightly? And Father, would you forgive us when we don't hold this in the respect that it deserves, that it is the word of the most holy God? Father, for those of us in this room that, Father, we are desperate for just a supernatural experience with you, Father, that we have doubts, that we have questions, that we have fears and worries. God, we think the only way that you can show up for us is some crazy miracle. Father, would we find so much rest and comfort in your scriptures. God, would we be reminded as we read through all the promises that you have for us, that you're, you're not going to leave us and forsake us, that you are going to provide for us, that you do love us no matter what, that, that you've made a way when there was no way, that you have created us as your people, that you have given us a new identity, you have adopted us into the kingdom, that we're no longer slaves, Father, but we're sons. Would you remind us of those promises, Father? And God, would we work out the implications of, Of that for us that if I am your son you have adopted me and not based on what I've done only based on what you have done and what you've accomplished and then that you're gonna provide for me so father maybe I feel like you're not but I'm gonna hold you to your word that you will and it might not be how I would and it might not be how I prefer father but I know that you will Maybe maybe we feel like we're unlovable because of the things that we've done or what we've experienced or, or what we've seen or what we've... God, maybe we just hang to your truth that you do love us. No matter what we've done or what we will do, your love is good. We have your word the more fully confirmed than any miracle, than any experience we will ever have We have your scriptures. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.